0: While we all know management as a subject is being implemented in a lot of industries, we decided to touch upon some of the new age professions which can be linked to artist management. Hey guys, this is Ajitesh Singh and I along with my co-host Ambar Chatraj, release episodes of our podcast Business Rendezvous every Thursday, which is an initiative by the PR committee of NMIMS Navi Mumbai. Today we have with us Dagi Bohe who has been managing Steve Aoki for a prolonged period. Stay tuned as we get back with him. So Dawgi, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Business Rendezvous. Doggy is someone who has been doing artist management for
1: more than a decade right now. How has your journey been till date, sir? Uh, well, first off, thanks guys for having me. Um, I'm very honored to, to be here um it's been a it's been a very very uh up and down journey of artist management um you know it it, it surely wasn't a, an easy path um you know i think like a lot of people in the music industry it starts off um it starts off hard you know it's really really hard to break into the industry and you got to work really hard and um be very, very optimistic and 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 not give up. But, you know, when I look back at some of maybe the harder parts of the journey, I'm very, very grateful that I had those hard times. Um, I think, I don't think I would be as good a manager or maybe even as good a person if I didn't go through all that. Okay,
0: so coming back to the question for the day, I'm just curious to know that there is just one study which states that if the album cover of a track is more attractive, then you would get more listens on the track.
1: Is there a metric as such? You know, I'm not sure uh, if there is an actual sort of scientific or analytical metric. Personally, with anything in art and music, I think you should always put your best product forward. Um, So I think you should always strive to have the most beautiful work. You are the most beautiful music, the most beautiful cover. Uh, everything you should do be, should be presented with beauty in mind because I think that that causes people to gravitate towards your work. Is there, a, is there a scientific notion that a beautiful album cover will make people listen? I'm not sure because I think I think there are some very unknown artists who maybe don't get a lot of listens but could produce very beautiful artwork. Um, and then I also think, you know, if, if, if there is a song that's very successful, um, that has beautiful artwork, it could be because the artist is already very successful, or it could be that the song is just as beautiful, or more beautiful than the actual artwork. Um, I'm curious, uh, it makes me want to look into this question more, because I don't know if there is a, there is a, a universal metric for this.
2: Yeah, so uh, I was reading uh, one of the interviews, which uh, actually was with Kashmir. So he said that what he applies in his tracks is if he can amuse the listener for the first 10 seconds, then, you know, uh, the person would automatically listen the rest of his track. So he states that, you know, the first 10 seconds are the most cruci- is the most crucial part of your track and you should just uh, do it very well.
1: I, you know, I agree with that. Uh, I, I you know, also, I'm a big fan of Cashmere. He's he's amazing, um, but I agree with that. I, I think that I think that philosophy applies to anything in life. You know, if you meet somebody for the first time, they only have the f- first couple seconds to make a good impression on you, and if they don't make a good impression on you, forever, you may not have a good impression. So I agree with that, especially with music. For me, I can usually with songs that I love. I usually know in the first 10 seconds, I, I go, oh, oh, I like this. This is going to be good. Um, so I agree with them.
2: Uh, there is a concept known as uh, inbound marketing, wherein the marketer directly uh, pitches the product to someone who actually needs the product. Do you think this effect of inbound marketing or pull marketing is present in the music industry overall?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Where I see this a lot, is uh, a brand uh, a brand will come and go well let's say it's nike and they go all right we want to target this shoe to a certain age group or a certain demographic of the population what they'll what they'll do is they'll find let's say a, an artist who has a big reach who has a lot of influence on that particular demographic and what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll strike a deal <clears throat> with that artist to promote their products to directly with the hope of maybe a mass mass marketing but usually it's 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 very thought out they're like wow this artist here is very popular with this age group that's the age group we're we're looking to target let's do a deal with him and he will promote the product for us to directly target those uh, the, uh, those consumers so I think you know, I think there's different ways in the music industry they do this. I think record labels have their own way of doing this, but I do see it. Um, I do see it a lot with uh, with brands where they're they're uh, hiring an artist to help amplify their sales strategy.
0: Uh, do you think that sites like Beatport would soon lose their ground to new age companies like Spotify, Spice, One O One Tracklist, etc which are focused towards a niche rather than diversifying their business into any and everything?
1: Yeah, that's interesting question. Um, I think, I think with the way technology is going, um, you know, companies like Apple and Spotify and other sort of large platforms around the world, you know, like you guys have a very large platform. Uh, Russia has their own. China has a bunch of their own. Japan, there's. Uh, I do think there is always going to be some people, some purists who love, let's say, beatport. They love going to beatport. Will will there be a tipping point for beatport to go mass market? I, I think I don't think that's likely anymore. I think it's too easy for people to stream music uh, when they're so used to, let's say, using Spotify or Apple. Um, I think there'll always be sort of a niche of maybe some in in Beatport's case some very very dedicated fans producers and uh maybe DJs who are like I love the Beatport experience and supporting Beatport but I think for a mass population um the 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 platforms like Spotify and Apple um are just going to get bigger and more prevalent
2: so uh, recently, I think uh, there were around many tracks of Steve uh, on uh, the DJ Mac uh, playlist, like the most uh, f- uh, favorite songs of uh, DJ Mac. So uh, recently, a playlist came up on Spotify. So it's basically the same thing now. Uh, Previously, I think Beatport used to launch uh, these playlists like Top Ten uh, Big Room, Top Ten Electro House, but nowadays it's all consolidated into one same space, and that's Spotify. So yeah, it's uh, Spotify is diversing, and uh, Beatport is somewhat losing market. That's my viewpoint. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think I think Beatport is still pretty niche. I think the people that love B-port, go to B-port for a certain experience that they're used to or a certain st- you know, it's it's really all electronic music. Whereas Spotify is all age groups. Some people might like to listen to a Steve Aoki song one minute, but next minute they want to listen to Coldplay and the next minute maybe they want to listen to a jazz song. So, with Spotify and Apple, you, you it's easy to listen to everything.
2: How far uh, do you think uh, analytics is driving what the music producer has to produce. I would cite. I would like to cite an example over here. So there is this retailing company of clothes in India known as Mintra. So they implemented data analytics and based on their survey of designs which their customers like, they asked the designers to make something similar to what the customers wanted. This has happened in the industry as well. I believe. Martin Garrix has shifted from big room to pop style EDM. So do you think uh, data analytics is important part for producers these days or else uh, they would lose their share in the market?
1: I think to a degree, yes. Um, I think there's a lot of people in the music industry that follow analytics to a T. I know for myself, I look at analytics But I'm a music purist, and I believe there is something special and mystical in the universe that makes a song great. You know, when you listen to a song that's really, really good, really, really good, you can break it down, but there's still an aspect of something unknown that makes it great. Because if we knew what that was, myself, you guys, anybody could recreate a a hit song. Um, So I think analytics are useful for guiding where maybe the popular sound of right now is it can't dictate what tomorrow is it can't dictate what yesterday was it dictates what's popular uh at that moment in that region let's say for america um i think they'll they'll listen to the radio and they'll go okay well these are these are the songs that are popular and it's a gauge for people to go okay well i can make that too um but then there's people that don't even listen to that. You know, uh, they'll just put out what they love and what they believe in, and it may not sound like anything else that's out there, and it does really well. And I think you know, for for electronic producers like Martin Garrix, who is you know one of the greatest DJs of our generation, I think for him he is such a popular uh, and special artist. I think for him he is always going to make big room music. But for him, he wants to reach the biggest audience he can get. And by doing that, he's like, I'm going to make pop songs, probably because he loves pop music as well. And pop music is now uh, international. And it's uh, with Big Room or EDM or dance music. It's all sort of blending together. And I think for him, he's like, you know what? I want to make a song for the clubs. And now I want to make a song for the radio. Now I want to make a song for the world, and I think for him because he's such a prolific uh, producer, and he gets to travel the world and meet so many people and hear so many different uh, cultures. And it's it's for him. He's just like, well, the sky's the limit. I want to do it all. And I think I think a lot of a lot of producers are going that way. I think they're they're realizing that we're all you know we're we're, we're on a zoom right now. You're on the other side of the world. We're we're connecting right now. And I think. The really great producers, they want to connect with people from all around the world and so there's no limitation to the style of music they're going to do. But you know going back to the analytics question, I think some people do follow that. Um, I have respect for for whatever ways people want to create art or music whatever way works for them, I, I, I condone that for me. It's interesting to to read you know, uh, analytics. It gives you an insight into what's going on. But why I started in music is because I love music and I believe there's something unknown where you just can't explain why you love this song so much. And that's what makes me excited about music.
0: So touring is, an, is a very important part of an artist's career because for obvious reasons it generates a lot of revenue. but It is also true that it is exhaustive and reduces the producer's time from creating new music. How to maintain that time balance in a right way? And what would be your suggestion to an artist who is going to take up touring
1: in the near future? Well, I think an important, you know, touring is very, very important for the revenue of any artist, but it's also probably the most, uh, you get the most satisfaction in terms of connecting with your fans, because you can see it, you can see what your music is doing to people right in front of you. You could you could feed off their energy, you could see their reaction, and maybe before or after the show, you can you can connect with your fans. So tourings are mm-hmm. very important, but it's not for everybody. You know, some people love the touring, and some people don't, and it's a matter of finding a balance between. Um, between the time off you need and the the amount of touring you do. So Steve Aoki, for example, he plays about 250 shows a year worldwide, every year for over 10 years. You know, there was was a year, 2014, I believe, he did uh, almost 300 shows worldwide, everywhere in the world. But he loves it. He loves being, uh, connecting with his fans. He loves seeing their faces, he loves seeing new cultures learning about new cultures so he has an addiction to his fans and seeing the world but the way the way we offset it is um with the production work is now uh in this era you don't need a big huge studio like you used to in the 80s and 90s now you can travel with your studio so what we do is you know whether we're going to korea or we're going to america Steve can bring his his studio set up and work on the plane. He can set it up in his hotel, work on music. So if there's a deadline right before the show or after the show, I'm going to go back to the hotel. I'm going to work on music. If he has an idea, he's like, all right, I'm going to pull out all my my laptops and my gear. I'm going to work on the song. So there aren't any limitations now, especially for DJs. Maybe if you're a rock musician, maybe it's a little tougher. But I think for producers and DJs, uh, even hip hop, you can create music wherever you are. We've, you know, Steve, no matter where he is in the world, if he gets inspired, he'll go into a hotel room, he'll go to backstage and he'll work on music. If he has more time, he'll be like, all right, I'm going to find a studio in doesn't matter where, where we're in Brazil, we're in Africa. We're going to find a studio that night. We're going to go to the studio and work on music. So I think, you know, for that speaking about Steve, but I think anybody else, there is a way to be balanced however you want it to be balanced. If you are like, I only want to tour 50 days a year, the rest of the time I want to work on music you can do that if you uh, if you want to do 200 shows you can do that but you know then there's you know a good example that I love is Calvin Harris who in my mind is one of the best producers of our generation for electronic music he's he's known for not wanting to tour that often he only plays a couple shows a year I think I, I'm not even sure what how many he played in 2019 but he's still one of the most relevant people in the world because his music's so good. And then there's there's a guy like Steve. He tours a lot, puts out a lot of amazing music. But that's that fits and works for him.
2: Uh, since uh, we are talking about touring, I see a lot of music festivals like Tomorrowland, Ultra Miami, uh, getting canceled this year. Even uh, EDC Las Vegas uh, came up with a virtual event in partnership with. Uh, but whatever may be the cause, a huge chunk of revenue for the artists as discussed comes from these live acts, uh, IPs, festivals. How do you think is the whole game going to change post-COVID-19?
1: That's a really good question. A question we talk about in our team almost every day. You know, I think, I think for some artists we'll be luckier than others. Uh, this is a real tough time for people who make their, uh, make their living off music. Um, you know, some people have the luxuries of maybe having a bigger career than others and they can maybe withstand this. Uh, others don't, but, you know, we've been very active. Um, there's still a lot of virtual opportunities. You know, Tomorrowland is doing a virtual Tomorrowland. Uh, you know, EDC did that. There's a lot of festivals around the world that are starting to do virtual, uh, events during this pandemic. When when COVID ends and is completely safe, I think people will be very, very hungry to get out when it's safe, when everybody feels this is safe and it's the time to get out. I think people will be even more hungry for music and live performances. And I think some festivals perhaps may not survive, but I think some will come back stronger um you know i think there's always lessons in hard times um i don't know what is going to happen you know i'm very optimistic that together as a music community with with the, the lovers of music we'll find a way because uh, music is universal and music is music will never die um i think it's just going to be very interesting i think we're we're learning um we're learning more about this virus every day and it keeps on changing and I think I think I think it's, we're going to have to be patient for for some time. Speaking about revenue for that
0: matter personal finance is a major part uh, for an artist. So, or for that matter for any individual to survive. Do you think that an artist should invest uh, into various sources of passive income once the initial revenue pops in? Because the things which are put out by an artist, it may just sound irrelevant to the content consumer out of the blues. So what are your views on this?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it depends on the artist of what they, what their priorities are. You know, some, you know, I I think there's a lot of people in music who are very savvy Outside of their uh, outside of their sort of artist career, of investing in companies, investing in side businesses, having a clothing company, um, just having general investments, I advise if you can afford to diversify your portfolio, because I think it's sort of a we'll call it a retirement fund or maybe an emergency fund, because if you have the finances to invest in. Companies you believe in or opportunities you believe in, um, I think that just gives you some cushioning. Maybe there's going to be a time in your life where this artist says, you know what? I just don't want to, I'm not inspired to make music anymore. I'm not inspired to tour anymore. And they might have a successful business or a successful investment or a company they've started uh, to fall back on. Um, But I also respect that some people aren't interested in that. Some artists are true, true, like a a certain type of artist where they're like, I am going to make music for the rest of my life until I die. I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I'm going to focus on that. Um, Personally, my opinion is I I think I think you should always diversify your portfolio. Um, it's, It's nice to have options. And I understand not everybody has the means or the finances just to go out and invest in companies or buy businesses. But I think you can start small. Um, And I see it the same way as, you you know, saving, saving your money, uh, investing in yourself, investing in your future. You could do that as well as like once you get maybe a little bit more celebrity or maybe a little bit more money. If you make the right choices and have the right team around you to advise you, you can make some really good investments and maybe when you're 40 or 50, you never have to work again.
2: So uh, this is a follow-up question. As we all know that uh, Hardwell is on a break from touring since I guess around September 2018. Uh, Do you think that music business is such that deep down it affects the mindset of the artist that one day He wants to let go of everything. If uh, he has a steady income, because if I'm not wrong, the local DJs, for example, a DJ in a small nightclub from Goa wouldn't get paid as much as the big names in the industry. So even though if they need a break, they can't do the same. Because if they do, they will struggle to make their ends meet.
1: Yeah, I think over the last few years, um, Especially in the DJ world, but I also in the in the entire music industry is mental health and wellness has become a very very important topic. One I believe in as well. Like you know, I I think we saw with the tragedy of Avicii, um, which is you know so sad. He he was oh my god, was he amazing? But he 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 struggled. You know, he struggled. I don't know if anybody really knew how deep the struggle is because. There was a time in this industry where it wasn't really accepted, I think, to outwardly speak about maybe your sadness or things you're struggling with. And I think there's probably, um, it's probably changing a little bit. And I actually applaud uh, Hardwell, like, you know, Hardwell, that is one of the most important DJs in the world. And he was at the height of his fame. And he said, "I'm, I'm done. And I really respect that because he was uh, self-aware enough to realize he just needed to stop. And maybe it's just a break. Maybe he'll come back. And you know, one of the going back to the smaller DJs or the smaller artists who can't take a break. I think this is part of our all our societies, whatever, whatever country you live in. It should be the responsibility of. The, the the entire country and the government to recognize that mental health is important for everybody, and there needs to be access to the right type of information and maybe the right type of help. Because I know around the world, it's not easy, and sometimes not cheap to go get help. So people feel helpless. They're like, "Well, you know, I can't afford to take time off, even though I'm hurting. So I'm just going to push forward." And I think that's a real tragedy because I think if there was resources for whether you're a new artist or you're a big star, we're all people. We all, we all, whether you're very rich or you're very poor, we're all people that have feelings and go through hard times. And I think everybody needs help. Um, And I think the world hopefully now is starting to get a little bit more compassionate to the needs of people and realizing like we got, we got to take care of one another. And, um, you know, I think, I think, well, I hope, I hope the world starts recognizing that we're all pretty much the same with the same struggles and mental health should be as important as physical health. You know, when you go see a doctor once or twice a year to make sure you're all good, you go see a dentist or you see, I think, every government should say you need to go see a mental health specialist once or twice a year minimum even if you feel all right because it's your brain it's your it's your emotions that's as important as making sure your heart is okay or your teeth are okay your lungs are okay and i think actually i hope we get to a point because Not just with artists, you see that anywhere you are in the world. Just walk down the street, any city, you are seeing mental health issues. And um, I fear a lot of these people are going silenced, you know?
2: So, uh, this is something I have heard uh, from Indian artist managers. uh, That in India, there is one manager who does everything for the artist, like booking the artist, releasing his music, handling his social media but in the international scene uh, there's a separate manager for each of these uh, functions. Is this true?
1: Yeah so there you know I think in America there's a there's a couple different ways people work everybody has their own sort of thing but what's most prevalent and I think happens with the most successful teams is there is a team. A team to make sure nothing falls through the cracks and the, the artist is being um, serviced and looking look after the best way possible. A lot of times they'll be similar to a to a corporate structure. Let's say you have an artist who is the CEO of his business, and then there's a president, a vice president, you know, so on and so forth. A lot of the times in the teams that I've been involved with. Or teams of friends, and I who do really great jobs. I notice it's always a team effort. The best, the best uh, artists usually have a very, very strong team of people who focus on what they're really good at. So, you know, let's say there's somebody who's very, very good at social media, digital, social analytics. That's what they do all day, every day. We have another person who's very, very good at. Let's say A and R, finding music, what's good, what's not, sourcing, um, uh, sourcing record deals, but usually it's over. There's one or two people at the top that oversee it all um, and make the key decisions, the long term thinking. Um, and in America, usually we don't book the shows. There's an agent who goes out and has the relationships with festivals, promoters, clubs they get the they get the shows and they bring it to the manager to go do you want to do this? This is what the offer is. We, you know, there's negotiation. Uh, it's not enough money or we can't do it on that date or we don't like this. We negotiate with our own agent who represents the artist and they go back and, and uh, get the shows for us. But everything else is very hands-on. Like, there, you know, in, in our Steve Aoki team, there's a number of people on the team all with very, very important roles. Um, and I don't think it would be as successful if we didn't have these people. And I don't think I would want that. And I think, you know, if, if in the future for some reason, which I hope doesn't happen, let's say I, I am not working with Steve or I have, I'm working with somebody else, I would want the same setup. I would want a team of very passionate, um, specialized people in whatever they do. You know, I I don't believe in going, well, this person isn't good at this, but we're going to like make them do that. I'm like, what are they good at? What are they passionate about? Oh, they really love this aspect. Okay, that's what they're going to focus on our team. We'll oversee them, but we're going to let them go and be great at that. And um, in America, it's usually a team effort, but it also depends on the size of the artist. You know, if you're a new, you know, I remember years ago when I first started, I did everything, you know. I, I was working with an artist that wasn't making any money yet, wasn't famous, was, was just trying to, you know, come up. I did everything. I booked shows, manager, uh, assistant, tour manager, production manager, all that, because there there just wasn't the 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 money and the infrastructure uh, to support that. But when the artists get bigger, usually you see more people being more specialized people being added to the team. And um, I see it the same way as running a successful business or company.
0: So for an artist, how important is it to segment, target and position, if he or she wants to make it big into the industry? So for instance, like when you imagine uh, Dubstep, Stilex comes into your mind. When you think of an Indian DJ, Kashmir comes to your mind. There's a unique persona around the DJ Mad Top 20 artists. So how to implement the STP
1: process in a right way for an artist? Well, I think a lot of that comes uh, through as the, the artist doesn't really know until they start seeing some success. So it's really hard to gauge. You know, there are artists who see that they start building their persona and it, maybe it doesn't work. But a lot of the ones like, you know, Skrillex, who happens to be one of my favorite producers, of all time i very i love skrillex the thing that was very special about skrillex and i he didn't plan it this way is he came out and he created his own sound you know dubstep was around for many many years before skrillex but he came out most important of all this he created his own sound that was great number one the most important thing in music You have to have a unique, identifiable sound that's also great. He had that. He also had his own look. And not a look that he, like, manufactured. That's just the way he was. That's that's who he was. So those combinations were a perfect storm to create this worldwide, uh, explosion of Skrillex onto the world. And then what he probably did, and I, you know, I don't work with Skrillex, but what I imagine is there such a, a following came for Skrillex that he started to realize in whether it's in America or different world, he realized where his fans were. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if he thoughtfully was like, all right, I'm going to start feeding the, these fans. But it's a good thing to know, like for us, on what I do, I know where his biggest fans are in, in in every region. I'll be like, you know what? He's very, very popular in Mexico City. Very, very popular. So we're going to go play a show in Mexico City, or we're going to release a special song for our fans in Mexico City. We will think it through. We'll go, with the marketing, how, how can we target our fans in Mexico City? And we think about it in a way of, how can we give back to them? They've been great fans. They're, if for some reason, in Mexico City, they're very, very uh, uh, into Steve Aoki. We're gonna go, okay, well, this, let's think of a campaign or a music video or something we can do to give to our fans to show that we love them and we see them and also help grow even more in the region. And that comes from, you know, there's analytics, um, also just paying attention to what people are saying to you on social media because you can if you're an artist you can look and go look how many fans from Mexico City are reaching out to me look how many fans are listening to my music and then even if you want to break it down even further you can go and look at a region and go okay so here are my top four songs in Mexico City and that gives you a lot of information you're like oh wow the top two songs they loved this sound but in America, those top two songs were the 20th song. And then you start realizing what different regions are. You know, like, you know, for Steve, he's a world DJ. You know, he does collaborations with you name it. Uh, um, Korean, um, Mexican, Latin, everybody. He, he loves that because he's, he's very passionate about different cultures. That's his, the idea for him to be able to work with other cultures and, and have fans around the world is probably what the, the most important thing to him. But he also realizes he'll go in and he'll be like, oh, do you know what? This song did really well in Brazil, so the people must really like it. So maybe the next time I think of my fans in Brazil, I'm going to make a song that is similar to that. You know, they didn't like this style of music, but they really like this style, so I'm going to give them that. And I think from listening to your fans as well as understanding what the data is telling you. there is a, there is a form of like sort of targeting um, your demographic. But I also think too, my personal opinion is you shouldn't re- you shouldn't think about it too hard because at the end of the day it is also still art. And if you overthink things, it may not come out the way it should because it is art so it's good to know it's good to like it's good to go uh, to listen to your fans probably the most important thing if you have fans you listen to them if they like what you're doing give them more and and maybe introduce them to some other sounds and see how they feel um, you know Skrillex great example though yeah what a what an amazing artist thank you so much for
0: patiently answering all of our questions and thank you so much for coming to our podcast what would be your tip to someone who is willing to uh, join the field of artist management what would be your go-to tip for that person
1: Uh, well you have to you have to uh, you have to be very diligent you have to expect a lot of people to say no to you you got to expect it might be hard in the beginning, both financially, maybe mentally. Uh, you have to realize that you have to count the small victories, not big victories. You know, when I look back, you know, when I first started, I was an intern. I didn't make any money, no money. And I I had to take care of myself. And I was working a lot, making no money, not Really knowing how I'm going to pay my rent or eat food, but I loved it so much. And it wasn't the driving factor of like, I want to be successful. It was more like, I just love doing this every day. I got to figure out how to make this a job that can pay me. And it was a slow, you know, all of a sudden I started getting a little bit of money, a little bit more, a little bit more, and not a lot, but enough that I could just make it through one month. And then maybe I can make it through another month. And you just have to love it because it's not easy it's really really not easy and there are many times you're going to be like well i'm going to give up this isn't working but if you stick through it and you're passionate about it i don't want to say i promise but i'm very very confident it will work out for you because i have a lot of friends who had a similar path to me and we we share stories and we're like was it that crazy and hard for you yes yes you just got to keep on doing it and you know some people are lucky you know some people find the right artist and in one year they're a big success and that's great i I, i'm very happy for those people but i think generally speaking artist management if you're not passionate about the job about music and about the artist this is very important if you're not passionate about the artist you're working with it's going to be a big problem Because if you don't believe in this artist or are are inspired by this artist, you will not last. No matter how much money you're making, whether it's a little bit or your wildest dreams amount of money. If you don't believe or not passionate about this artist, it will not work out for you. So you got to really understand, like, you know, is this job really what you want? Do you feel you're right for it? And then I just say, you got, go make it happen. I think anybody can make it happen. You know, one of the one of the things I'm most grateful for for my life—I don't want to even say job—is I've been able to travel and meet so many great people from so many different parts of the world. And it's anybody can do it. I met some of the uh, unbelievable managers from South America. Amazing ones from crew all over the world. But you can you can you can make it doesn't matter. As long, as long as you believe in what you're doing and believe in the person you're helping, I think you'll be fine.
2: That's something nice to hear from you. Uh, so we have a question from one of my producer friends. His name is Harman. He produces beats from some of the topmost rappers in India. He asks me, uh, if if an artist gets approached by a management firm, what should he or she expect from the management firm? What does an ideal manager do for the artist? What is the ideal cut of the deals for an artist manager?
1: Well, I think everybody has their own style, but what I think would be important is, number one, uh, they're aligned on what the artist wants. So, for what I do, it's not about what I want. It's not about what uh, I want to achieve. It's about me helping this artist become whatever they perceive to be. Let's say they want to be the most, the biggest DJ or the biggest rapper or the biggest thing. It's my job to be their partner in this and have them focus on making the best music they can, be the best artist they can, and then uh, I handle everything else. If I handle everything as perfectly as they handle making their music, it's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. I will trust them to make the best music and be the best performer. I hope they'll trust me to handle the business, but they should always be available to the artist. They should always be forward-thinking, um, they need to be uh, uh, educated. And when I when I mean educated, they need to be educated about the business, where it is, the current state of business. If they're out of touch, it's going to be a problem. Um, but they they have to have the best interest of the artist. If they don't have the best interest of the artist, um, that doesn't work for me. I, I don't think it's a long-term thing. Um, and you can tell, these, if you're a producer or an artist, you can tell within the first meeting of a with a manager if they really love you if they believe in you you almost want them to be so enthusiastic about you that they would almost work for you for free you know that's that's the sign if they have a plan here's my plan for you this is what i'm going to do for you we're going to do this 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 and then from there we're going to do that 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 it's like same way as you know, a business plan for starting a company or starting a business. You need to have forecasting. You need to have, here's my business plan for the year. This is year two, this is year three. And of course, things aren't going to go as planned and things are going to go off, but you have to be flexible and understand where you're going. And then the other thing I would say too, is they need to be within the industry, ideally, in a, in a way that they know people, the right people to talk to. Uh, It's not impossible. You know, there's some amazing hip hop managers who are amazing managers who start off with no contacts and no experience, but they just naturally had it. Uh, But I think generally speaking, those are the traits you want in a manager.
0: All right, so we have certain quickies for you. So what's your favorite cuisine?
1: My favorite what? Your favorite cuisine. Oh, that's tough. So it depends on my mood. It depends on my mood. Uh, I have a problem, my wife will tell you this. I have a problem with uh, uh, like sweet like like uh, like pastries and cake. but I love really good sushi. Um, I'm a big sushi fan. Um, but if I had to pick one, it would probably be... I'm a big fan of Italian food. Really big fan of Italian food.
2: So, uh, what is your favorite place to visit in the
1: world? That's tough too. Um, (laughs) I really, really like Japan. I really, really like Japan. Um, But The most important places, and there's so many to pick from, I like nature. I like outside of a city, in the mountains, or on the ocean. And that could be anywhere because there's, you know, there's so many, there's so, like, it doesn't matter what country you go to, they're all beautiful. And if you go out outside of the cities and see the nature, maybe, yeah, Japan's a city I love um, for beautiful Hawaii is pretty nice too um, but there's there's a lot of cities I haven't been to that I want to see so I have a problem that anytime I go to a new city I end up going oh this is my new favorite city so anywhere there's beautiful nature your favorite investment till date investment to date yeah um
2: it may be anything a car or any real estate or anything
1: yeah anything well i would say probably my pet my dog yeah. i have a I have a puppy okay. he's okay. probably brought me more joy than anything uh in in the purest form um i would probably say that he's actually sleeping beside me right now having a bad dream and i can hear him crying because he's having a bad dream what is uh name? uh ginseng that's a nice it's like that yeah it's like there he, he was uh he's amazing so i would say that or um this is kind of like maybe not the best answer but probably myself M- meaning great. like learning about myself and my emotions and my how the brain works uh learning to be a little bit more patient maybe have more compassion uh mindfulness I, I think extent,
2: yeah uh, so to a certain extent i like your uh, reply which says that you love yourself and you consider yourself as your favorite investment till now because you know you need to exactly. invest in yourself so that you can grow, and growth makes you happy. This is what I
1: believe. Yeah, I, I've, you, that's perfectly said. I, I, totally agree. And it took me many years to realize that, because you look, you look outside to think these things are going to bring me happiness, or if I had this, if I did that, I'd be happier. And then I realized that it's all within ourselves, and if you can somehow. Um, harness that or become closer to that, you'll be happier. And, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I still have my days where, you know, you're, you have a sad day or angry day, or maybe you weren't as patient as you should have been, but I'm getting better. And I realize that even the process of learning more about how to be more mindful, uh, you know, uh, educating yourself, not just about educational books, but just reading more books, good books. I start... I find it makes me happier just learning about all this stuff. And then you're happy once you start implementing it. Um, So probably, that's probably the, to be honest, that's the most important investment is like, at least trying to understand myself better and uh, probably try to be more compassionate.
2: What is the best moment of your life till now? Like the best of the best?
1: best of the best the best of the best Uh, Um, that is that is a really good question that I've never thought about Um, well there's, there's a few really good moments but the best would probably be hmm I think you stumped me that's what's yours do you have one?
2: Yeah, interacting with you. Right.
1: Hey, you know that's yeah, a good answer. <laughs> and you know what? That's that's a good answer because you never know what's going to happen in life, and they always say you're supposed to live for this moment, and that if you live in the moment, that's the best moment there is. So you're a very smart man. I think you're right. You're right. I like that. I like that. I. You know what? I have. I've had some really good moments, but. Uh, some of them maybe are like more superficial than others so i'm going to take your i'm going to take your answer and say okay. right now because we're talking how amazing is this i'm here in los angeles you guys i don't know how many miles away that is like or kilometers that's like the other side of the earth and we're talking we're all healthy it's, it's a great moment a
2: time gap of 12 hours
1: yeah. Unbelievable. And here we are.
0: Any struggle that has taught you a lot in your lifestyle?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, there's, there's two struggles. I wanted to, to say two quickly. One is when I first started uh, in trying to make it in the music industry when I was interning, because that was probably the poorest I ever was, because I was working every day. And I wasn't making any money. But what I realized was, wow, I was really happy then. And when I look back at that time, I go, wow, that was actually some of the, my most favorite times in life. But at the time when I, I was very stressed out because I didn't know, you know, I didn't have the confidence. I was like, I'm working for free. It's going to be too hard for people to, you know, I'm, I'm never going get, to get up. You know, that was a, that was... That was a real, real struggle. Um, but we you know everybody has to struggle in their own way. I, I don't think many people have the luxury of not having a, a, a real struggle in their life and then looking back and realizing that, you know, I'm thankful for that struggle because it made me who I am, you know in, in whatever way. You know there's people that had there's so many millions of people that have had worse struggles than I have had um but i think for that was that and you know i think also just struggling with yourself your inner your inner brain you know because you can make yourself uh as happy like that and you can also make yourself sad if you allow your brain to but yeah the, the beginning days of trying to get into the music industry was very 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 tough
2: so, uh, have you ever been to India?
1: I haven't. I have not. Steve Steve has gone, played many times. And I haven't. But the next, we were supposed to, I think, play a show uh, this year, but it got cancelled because of all the stuff. I'm definitely going to come because I've been all near the region, but I've never been to India.
2: So once you come, we would I can grab a coffee I own around Absolutely. Starbucks
1: yeah. yeah you guys you guys can come with me to next time Steve plays there you come with me to the show we'll hang mm-hmm. out and, that, and also you can show me around because I always yeah, like to know, have people work. yeah you guys gotta show me around I don't like doing um, if I go to a new city having like reading on the internet of where to go I like when people who live there take me to where I should go
2: and there's a lot of places around Mumbai which you would be amazed to visit. Uh,
1: exactly. I really, I really, really want to go. And and the the offer, uh, is for you guys as well. You ever come to Los Angeles? I'll take you up.
2: Thanks.
1: Sir. Yeah. Thanks. Sir. Thanks. Sir.
2: Okay. Uh, that's roughly from our side. Uh, so Douglas, uh, did you like our podcast? Any positives or negatives you would like to point out?
1: Yeah, I liked it. It was great. You know, like, it's really, it's really exciting for me to talk to you guys. Um, You guys are on the other side of the world. It's, how exciting is that? Like, I I just find it very exciting. Um, Yeah, really, really great, really interesting. I hope it was interesting for you guys. uh, But I really enjoyed myself.
2: So I had a knack towards artist management when I, so basically when the whole, Martin Garrix thing popped out, so there were a lot of producers, like a lot of children were influenced by him and everyone started producing. So I was one of those guys, but I somehow realized that maybe this is not for me. So I uh, left it, but deep down right now, what I believe is even as we are uh, recording this on a Zoom call. So after uh, recording this, I need to process the audio that happens inside of Ableton. So, somehow, some skills are helping me out, really. And, uh, yeah, so that's the whole process. That's why this podcast is so interesting.
1: It's, it's and you know what? Like, think of how, think of all the, the synergies here. You know, you're interested in that. We're all sort of, it's like the world pushing us all together.
0: Thank you so much uh, for coming and uh, thank you guys for tuning. Bring into business on table.